Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi, you're listening to Fashion Unzipped. I'm your host, Charlie Gowns-Eglinton, Senior Fashion Editor at The Telegraph. One of the best bits of my job is Fashion Week, travelling to the fashion capitals of the world to see trends as they're born. It's not all glamour, but the spectacles can be pretty amazing. But what's life like on the other side of the curtain? For this week's instalment of our Day in the Life mini-series, I'm joined in the studio by Korean-born, London-based designer and winner of the British Emerging Talent Women's Wear Award at the Fashion Awards 2019, Regina Pio. Regina, thank you so much for joining me. Did you always know you wanted to work in fashion? Yes, I think, um, yeah, my memory goes back to when I was like four or five. My mum used to make curtains or cushion covers at home um, because she did fashion before she had me. And um, she had great sewing skills and... Whenever the fabrics around in the house, I'll just wrap around myself in a way that I could. And then I walk the living room up and down as if it's like a haute couture dress. <laughs> um, so and that's one of my memory. And then I will find my mom's uh, sketchbook where she drew like bell sleeve or puff sleeves and all these different types of drawing. And I was fascinated by looking at them and try to, you know, draw it my way as much as, as as I could because I was very young. But my mom didn't want me to do fashion, so she used to hide that sketchbook and I will find it again somehow and then do it again. Um, so that's my early memory. What did she want you to do? I think it's just very um, typical Korean parents, you know, like, I mean, every parent's like wishing their child the easy safe life you know the doctors the lawyers and um i yeah i think it's more um safe job in their thoughts um and because she did fashion before she knew how hard it was so she just didn't want me to do it um and it was just me pushing pushing and I went to I wanted to go to art school even before university and they didn't let me and I just before a year or two before university I was able to go to some institution where I can practice to get into the art university and that's what I did. Because Seoul now where you grew up has a really thriving fashion scene yes but 
I'm imagining it wasn't like that, perhaps, when you were growing up there. Yeah, I I I don't remember, and it, you know, it's very um, homogeneous uh, country. Everyone's Korean. Everyone's get black. Uh, everyone has black hair, same skin tone, and you can imagine everyone. Uh, and also as a teenager, everyone wants to wear the same thing. And if you stick out, that's very strange. And um, even as a trend, I I think it's more like a nationality that um, they don't want people to stick out. So that kind of is reflected in fashion. And I I feel like when I arrived in London, you know, oh, you can walk around in barefoot and no one would say anything. But in Korea, they will say something to you. So <laughs> I think that's a big difference. Um, and yeah, I feel, I, I mean, that was, I'm talking about like 15, 20 years ago. So I felt definitely more restricted and things like that. But now when I go back, it's completely different. Um, there are so many young designers doing interesting things and there's lots of different platforms and all these um, uh, buyers and journalists coming from other side of the world. So it's, it's very, very exciting. So how old were you when you moved to London? I was 25. And you came to study for the MA at Central St. Martin's? Yes. So I did my BA in arts university in Korea. And then I was working there um, in a big uh, corporation. A fashion corporation? Yeah. And um, I just, I think it was the curiosity that got me here. I, whenever I look at the magazines, you know, they talk about Central St. Martin's and all amazing designers coming from there and I used to think what is this place why did everyone study there and I I was always longing for a bigger world um, and I loved watching uh, western films and so I always wanted to go and um, so I was working in Korea and you know one day I realized okay if I do it really really well I will be like that person, the boss that I was working for. And then I didn't want it to be that. So I said to my parents, I have to go and study here. And they're like, what? Like, okay, we understand, you know, first year in the industry, it's hard and no one has an easy job. Just, you know, keep on trying. And I was like, that's not the reason, you know, like I can do it, whatever, um, you know, it's not about like my job is hard. Like I want to go and study and experience other things. And so it took about three months to persuade them. And uh, my mom said, actually, I wanted to study abroad, but I didn't do it. And I don't want you to blame me like 20 years later. So go. And I was like, well, you never told me that. Um, so I went, but um it was very expensive as a in international student and so I promised them I would do like a part-time job to support me and all these promises. So that's how um, I came to St. Martin's and still living here. And you were studying under Louise Wilson, yes. the now late Louise Wilson. I was at St. Martin's actually studying for my BA at the oh, same yeah. time and was terrified of Louise. I mean, <laughs> especially if you were a BA student, she used to just shout down the corridor, yes. like, move! And everyone scattered to the side. Oh my God, you uh, <laughs> turned the voice very well. 
what was that experience like? Yeah, um, I mean, also coming from Korea where everyone's so just quietly speaking to you. <laughs> and I mean, even in other universities, I, I don't think I would never seen or heard of anyone who would be that passionate speaking and emotionally involved with uh, students you know she would cry sometimes and you know it it feel, it looks like it she's really hurt by our terrible work <laughs> so um it's uh, it's amazing it's it's still like it's one and only experience and i'm so lucky that i had a, had that experience and as she put it herself it's a bit like um war a badge on your CV that if you survived under me, industry will take you. Um, that's what she used to say. And so, and then everyone that you studied with is like an army um, <laughs> um, friends. So you graduated in 2011. Is that right? Yes. Sorry. <laughs> I had a blank there. I was like, what year is it? And then you didn't found your own brand for a couple of years. Yes. So what next? So um I was um I was recommended by one of the tutor Julie Verhoeven and um to work in various different uh, London fashion designers and they were very different to where I worked in Korea it was you know like a 10 floors of building full, full of designers many brands and you don't even know what these people are doing and you know so you're a tiny cog exactly yeah and that's eventually how why I left because I feel like I was just doing the same thing and you know I'm just a little piece in a machine and when I worked in the design studios in London you know I get to see the whole picture you know how it starts from the research and the sampling and you know and you do the sales and the shows and production and all the problems that comes with and it was so much more exciting and just um uh great learning for me as well um how it all comes together and it's very cyclical you know um every season the it comes and goes again and then the same kind of things but different problems um so that was a great experience for me and then i won this han nefkins fashion award um han nefkins is amazing art collector from netherlands and this uh, fashion award was uh, set uh, judged by uh, penny, Mar- penny martin from gentle woman magazine and victor and rolf and jose um who is the godmother of um, teaching in Netherlands. So when I heard that I won this award, I thought it was a scam because they would, uh, they told me, oh, you will get this uh, prize, um, which was a great cash prize that I needed. And then you will get to do um, a solo exhibition in one of the oldest museums in Netherlands. And it just sounds too good to be true. Um, so I worked on that exhibition for about six months because it's essentially like a Tate and you're given a room to have a solo exhibition and you just couldn't risk doing not doing the best job. So I was working um, really hard 
and and did you give up did you give up working yeah that's when I stopped actually working for other people um so I was googling day and night where is the metal manufacturer or the manipulator in London and I found someone uh, the under the arch of Old Street station and there is this guy full of dreams and making some um you know motorbike in aluminium hand bented and all these kind of weird things and then I said oh I'm trying to create this kind of form can you do it and he was uh, so brilliant so I ended up making these sculptures in a body and dress form um, because as a fashion designer when would you have the opportunity to have this kind of exhibition so I didn't want to make a clothing dress I wanted to make a sculpture fine art work that people can you know go around and see and but it was in the familiar form of the body and the dress which I I do. Uh. So did you end up spending all of your cash prize on that exhibition or did you get to put some of that into your brand? Yeah so um, it was a commissioned work so they would support to make the work and then there was a bit of prize left which I thought you know people saying like oh you can you know buy something you need or you know doing other things but then I always wanted to do my own brand and I thought oh I can do it now or maybe go back to the job and do it later but then I felt like oh why don't I do it when I have more energy and um, you know if I fail it will be easier to get the job than when I'm like in my 50s or something. Um, so it was very naive. So I was making just a couple of pieces. And then it's it was hard because in St. Martin's or anywhere, you would never learn about the fashion business side, you know, when you will have to finish the collection and, you know, book an appointment with buyers and where you have to go and show these collections. And when do you have to produce it by what kind of uh, markup you have to put in and how do you cost your garment, um, all these things. So I just had to learn it very hard way. Um, so first collection, I didn't really sell anywhere. It was um, uh, but great platform to meet the buyers saying, look, like you need to show me the next collection by this date. I can see this is great, but we don't have budget now because I spent everything um so i that's when i learned and then from autumn winter 2014 that's the first collection that i sold to the buyers and how did you put it all together i mean were you completely self-funding at this point yeah so i didn't have any investors i i do not have any investors until now um which i am very proud of because um that means you can make a lot of decision freely um you know for example we are really passionate about sustainability and just swapping the single use plastic to compostable plastic it will you know, eat up your margin. But, you know, if when you have investors who are like, oh, we don't really care, like, don't do that. Like, we prefer to have more money. But now I'm like, okay, even though I lose like five pounds, like, I don't care because that's a better thing to do and for the long term as well. So at the beginning, 
it was just some uh, cash prize that I had. So I had to be very resourceful. And um, and that's also one of the reasons why I wasn't showing in London Fashion Week because, you know, putting a fashion show is a massive cost. And, you know, there is a lot of young designers trade off out of the college and they got the sponsorship. So they are like on the show straight away. But when, what happens when the sponsorship finishes? If you don't have the solid sales or customer base, like it's about just spending money and you don't have the business behind it. So I, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to build my business first. And then when I can afford it, I will, you know, show the collection in a bigger scale. So the beginning of the collections were all dependent on the sales of the last previous season. So every single piece I had to make it so desirable and interesting and, you know, because I can only afford to make 20 pieces, let's say. And, you know, if I don't make sales, I won't be able to make the next season. So it was very um, kind of a crucial learning yeah um yes but i i think looking back it really helped me was there ever any risk of the brand failing if were things that close you know if if i don't make this sale i won't be able to yeah um i mean luckily we did have sales growing but it was very slow and um and but i didn't have enough money to hire people so at the beginning it would be just me and maybe one part-time intern um so i would be up all hours and you know the factories i knew was in korea where i'm from and their their morning starts midnight in uk so i'll be working all day daytime and then when midnight starts they send me questions and i'm on the phone to them and i barely get to sleep um and then you design and then do the sampling you saw the prototypes you do pattern cutting by yourself because you can hire a pattern cutter you do everything yourself and then you do the costing taking pictures um and then doing the sales and then gathering the um, orders and you know ordering the trims the threads buttons fabrics and fusing and all these things but imagine you're doing that like for 10 dresses that you got order for you know, you know other companies would be doing for thousands but same amount of work so it's like um very it was so hard for for the first 3 years maybe um i was just burnt out basically so that's when um one of my sales agency said, you're talented. Why don't you just go and get a job and have your life and have family and have evenings and weekends and you can enjoy your life. <laughs> so um, I think she was kind of, you know, she's a bit like a motherly figure and she was kind of like, you know, you're working so hard, but this is not going anywhere. Like, um, what are you going to do? But And also the other hard part was, um, at the time when I started, London Fashion Week was all about like a maximal aesthetic. You know, there is like a print on print and, um, you know, there is detail and head to toe and it's like explode, explosions on the catwalk. And what I love is very kind of um, simple from our side of view, but I appreciated smaller details and I couldn't really connect myself 
when the catwalk was so far away from your real everyday life. And, you know, then I go to the shops and I didn't want to buy anything because they weren't interesting enough or they weren't well-made enough or they were too trend-driven that I knew that I won't be wearing it next year. Um, or the things that I liked was too expensive. So there was this kind of gap in the market, which I saw then, oh, wouldn't it be amazing you make this good quality winter coat that can actually last and, you know, you can pass on to daughters and, but it wouldn't cost your monthly rent or something like that. So that's, I think, how I started. But yeah, that time I was really, thinking like, oh, maybe I should stop. (laughs) Hello, I'm Marianne Jones, and I'm the editor of The Telegraph magazine, which means I spend my week overseeing every page, from the front cover to hard-hitting news reports, columns and lifestyle features. We go to print weekly, so we have a little bit longer to craft our journalism, using our award-winning writers and fantastic art and photography teams. That means we can publish long-form pieces that really get to the heart of the story. Just recently, our cover interviews with Joaquin Phoenix and James Middleton made global headlines, while our writer Mick Brown's investigation into false memory syndrome won a major press award. And the fact of the matter is, we couldn't have done all of this without our subscribers. Without them, we just can't commission the stories you like reading or make podcasts like this one. Why not try out a 30-day subscription to The Telegraph completely free? Go to thetelegraph.co.uk slash audio. When did you have your first Fashion Week show? (laughs) When was the first time? So we started... um with uh, smaller presentations, which is also the organic growth, uh, grow, growing way. Um, so our first show was spring, summer 18. Yes. And, um, so I had models, um, of my dear friends and muses. Um, so they were happy to, be walking in our show and you know there were like jewelry designers there were expires and there were photographers and uh, uh, in music band and it was just amazing to see all the clothes on the women who were actually our customers before and who wore it very well then someone that I never met before and they're just 16 years old and you don't have any connection with. So that was brilliant to um, hold the presentation at uh, the presentation of the collection in a bigger scale, which was the um, the first catwalk show. And what is it like putting on a catwalk show? Because it sounds very glamorous. Yes, it, it is. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 like same as everything in fashion. Everyone's like, wow, you're fashion designers. What is it like? You know, because they just see the image in the magazine that you're just sitting in a beautiful room touching some kind of dress. And, <laughs> you know, it actually, um, you know, putting a show together, it's it's mental you know like from like months before you're going around venue hunting what could be the best 
way to showcase this story. And then, you know, the production, um, I mean, we have the great DHPR that we work with, um, who's amazing at inviting people, the invitations that we have to work for, um, the seating plans and the music, the video, how we're going to you know, edit it. There's so many things going on, but um, it's very exciting few days before when you see the first collection on a real person first um, with the jewelry, um, shoes, bags, clothing that we designed for months. Um, it's it's so exciting. But actually, on the show day, I'm always busy at the backstage, so I will I will never be even on the show. You know where it's happening, so I will be like you're watching. never watching. <laughs> yeah, I will be like just manically like readjusting the ties or the earrings like at the backstage, <laughs> um, and then I'll watch it at on the video or something afterwards. And it's weird; it's a bit like um, some kind of shock that happened. You need quite a f- few days to digest what actually happened, and then. Um, I'm very hard on myself, so it's never like, I'm like, oh, that was a fantastic show. Everything's perfect. Great. You know, I'll be like, oh, that could have been better. And like, what can I improve and all these things. So there is like a bit of down moment afterwards. And do you read all the coverage in the newspapers and magazines and everything? Yeah, so uh, we'll read them. I think, you know, it's important to see like how your story was told to people. Did they actually got it or maybe they didn't get it um or i think it's it's good in reflection that you can make the storytelling better for next season but i think it's also important to stick to the thing that you wanted to do rather than like being so swayed by what people want because otherwise you will be just belong to the past seasons i guess yeah. What's your average day like now? So um, I have two years old son, Luca, um, so he will be waking me up <laughs> uh, very early in the morning. Um, so I will be cooking his breakfast and, you know, before Nanny comes, um, you know, cooking his lunch, packing it. And, and you love to cook. You actually have a cookbook that you yes, wrote um, with your husband. Yeah, my husband, uh, Jordan Burke, he's a chef and food writer and he does radio and lots of different things. And he's uh, an amazing chef. And he, when he first tasted Korean food, he was so like shocked how it's not well known as Japanese or Chinese cuisine in London. So um, we wrote this Korean cookbook together which is called Our Korean Kitchen and unexpectedly we won like cookbook of the year and all these uh, awards and we were like wow you know people really love Korean food so we cook a lot of Korean food at home um, and so I'll be doing uh, lots of Korean cooking for my son or uh, with my husband, we cook together. I mean, even though it's Korean food, because he's a brilliant chef, he makes it even better. So, <laughs> um, so I'll make sure we spend some time in the morning and then I'll go to the studio 
um, and there will be lots of things happening, team meetings, fittings, or some days I will have a meeting outside or I will go and research in the library or something like that. So catching up with the team and then do you work quite long days? Well, Compared to before, not really, because I used to work for 24 hours. And now I will finish around 6.30, which is very healthy for fashion companies. Um, So I think, um, yeah, we start 9 and finish around 6, 6.30. Um, and then everyone goes home, you know, catching up their friends or, you know, families. And I come home and have dinner with my own family and hearing what my son was up to and my husband. And it's, it's very precious time for us and spending evening together. And then like everyone else, you know, putting your child, brushing their teeth and all these things. I mean, before I, when I was, when I didn't have child, I was like, oh, I had so much time. I could learn another language. And now it's like time all disappeared, but um, in happiness. Yeah. How did you juggle that in the beginning? When did you meet your husband? Um, 11 years ago. Um, so, and we've been married for seven years. Um, so it's a bit like, I don't know, family now. Um, so we do everything together. He's my the best counselor and, um, you know, best friend, everything. And it's, I mean, everyone always asks me, like, how do you do it? You have a son and whatever. But to be honest, like compared to other people, I only have one child um, and I can't imagine like having two or three. And it's really helpful to have that um, different aspect of your life. Before I was, you know, just slaving away for the business and that was my life, that was my work, that was everything. And now I have completely different perspective, which is... You know, thinking about next generation, which connects to sustainability, which is from my son, Luca, and, you know, the education side of it, you know, you want to be more um, giving back to, you know, the society and things like that. It's It just gives you the different um, point of view, uh, w- which is very healthy mentally and physically and I think that's also, you know, um, taken into my business, how I do it, because when we look at it, you know, the business is still growing every year, which is amazing because in the fashion industry, it's a small business to survive. Um, it's very hard. and um, But now we want to see the growth, not just in numbers, you know, we want to see the quality of life of the colleagues or you know, like, are we happier this year or did we do more meaningful things? Um, you know, things like that. So there's different way of thinking in life. And I really learned that a lot after having my child. And what do your parents think now? I mean, they still live in Korea. So in a way, very disconnected because they don't speak single words in, in English you know it wouldn't really mean anything if I send all the reviews or the you know the articles that comes out in London or America because it's all in English they appreciated when I won the Samsung Awards in Korea um, two years in a row um, they were like oh my god so you're 
doing great. I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> um, so only what's happening in Korea will count on them. But whenever I send the pictures of the new collection or they watch the show on Insta stories, you know, of course, they're like so proud of their daughters. So looking ahead, what's next for the brand? Um, we just launched our um, new unisex collection um, in the spring summer 20 show. So I was really thinking about it for a long time that, you know, I want the brand to be more relative uh, related to our life, not just a women's fashion. So it's like one step forward that, um, you know, the clothing can be shared between um men and women and husband and wife or you know like just as a human being because um sometimes you know you want to dress down but still like have the difference in amazing fabrication and but relaxed shape and things like that so i'm very excited to launch this collection this spring fantastic that's all we've got time for regina thank you you so much for joining me thank you so much We'll be back in a fortnight with a new episode. But in the meantime, visit telegraph.co.uk forward slash fashion unzipped sub for a free 30 day trial of all of our online content, including lots more coverage of the Fashion Awards 2019. Join the conversation by emailing me at unzipped at telegraph.co.uk or find me on Instagram and Twitter at Charlie Gowans. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.